is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Levin here, our number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Well, the media's priority tonight is Jussie Smollett. They even brought in their legal analysts to tell us what's taking place because we're too stupid to know. Now, I don't know what this jury will decide. Will the jury ignore all the evidence? I mean, more than a dozen witnesses. Will the jury ignore the so-called co-conspirators' testimony and the video? Will they ignore it like MSNBC and CNN? Will they ignore it like the New York Slimes and the Washington Compost and all the other frauds, phonies, and buffoons in the media? Trying to push a narrative? I have a different question, actually. Everybody's sitting with bated breath. Biden's about to give part of Ukraine to Russia. Everybody, but no, yeah, Jesse Smollett, I got to know about Jesse Smollett. If you commit a hate crime against yourself and uh, shouldn't you get like double punishment? If you commit a hate crime against yourself because you're a person of color and uh, and a homosexual. I'm just curious. Does that mean because you attempted to exploit both and arguably smeared both because you're unhinged and you're trying to bring attention to yourself? If he's correct, then it seems to me he committed a hate crime against himself. So should he do double the time if he does time at all? Think about that, the legal analysts out there. Obviously, I'm tongue-in-cheek here. I'm just making a point, but the police are upset because of the amount of time they had to spend on this. The only relevance this has to me is this is such a fantastic country that we have a lot of cases where people make up stuff like this. A lot of cases. 
And people do not want an honest discussion about race. Joy Reid doesn't want an honest discussion about race. The View don't want an honest discussion about race. Good Morning America doesn't want an honest discussion about race. If they wanted an honest discussion, we'd all be putting our heads together to figure out how to prevent or slow or limit the slaughter that's taking place in the inner cities. The vast majority of which is black young men killing black young men. But we don't have that discussion because to have it apparently is racist. To have that discussion apparently is racist. And yet it's anything but. It's anything but racist. People talk about the number of people in prison, like that's some kind of a determinant, or that's, that's definitive of racism in America. No, it's not. What it's definitive of and what it's determining is that we have a lot of violent people in this country who need to be sent to prison, or a lot of people are going to be hurt, particularly people of color, particularly old people particularly homosexuals, particularly Orthodox Jews, and so forth. And other people of different backgrounds, whatever. Can't have that discussion. Everything we seem to discuss in this country, everything we seem to do in this country is driven by the Marxist left and their uh, surrogates in the media. It's really quite appalling. And I want you to remember... That Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, and Nancy Pelosi all believed this Smollett. I don't really care what the jury comes back with. We all know what took place here. There's going to be one or two jurors that believe in jury nullification, as Jonathan Turley wisely pointed out, that that's really what Smollett's testimony was about. It wasn't about, from his testimony, whether he was guilty or not, because he's guilty as hell. Unless, of course, somebody on the jury throws out everything and chooses to ignore it. So we shall see, Mr. Producer, right? Nothing's been uh, done yet, but I'm not going to sit here with bated breath. When they come back and they're about to uh, give the information, I know uh, three or four of you are interested in finding out the result, and I'll give you that. But to me, the damnable things have already taken place. There's been a ton of media attention on this. And most of it, lousy. Most of it, rotten. What's the lesson from this? What's the lesson for the media? The media do not learn lessons, ladies and gentlemen. The media are rogue, and the media push an agenda. They're rogue. They wanted to believe that Trump supporters uh, beat this guy up, put a noose around his neck, and then talked about MAGA country. This whole push about January 6th insurrection. This is now in AP, Reuters, all the major so-called news sites. January 6th is a fait accompli. It's an insurrection, even though it doesn't meet any of the real definitions of an insurrection. It doesn't matter. They've deigned it to be an insurrection, as they deemed Trump to be involved in Russia collusion. They deign a lot of things and impose the will on the American people. So we're not going to sit here in bated breath, but I, I do want to ask the corporatists across America, 
Are you embarrassed yet about your support for Black Lives Matter? Are you embarrassed yet about giving money to this organization? Over at Blaze Media, here's the headline from the other day. Black Lives Matter calls Jussie Smollett trial a white supremacist charade. Say they can never believe police over someone who so courageously stands for black freedom. Isn't what Smollett did the opposite? He made a mockery of racism. He made a mockery. This is a wealthy man. Apparently he's relatively famous. I know very little about him, certainly before. Who used the pretext of race, the pretext of homosexuality. He used those identities to try and bring a a smear to try and bring an utterly false story to draw attention to himself and to advance his own political viewpoint. Who are the victims here? We the people. Because once again, the media exposed as corrupt. Who are the victims here? President Trump and his supporters. Why? Because once again, people are lying about who he is and who they are. And who are the victims here? Well, law-abiding individuals across this country who would never pull such a stunt. Particularly those who are in, uh, or people of color or homosexuals. Because Jesse Smollett smeared them all. Smeared them all. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin'. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. There's no TVs in these courtrooms, so uh, oh, let's see. Breaking tonight. What's breaking now? Smollett. Guilty of the first five charges. They're waiting for the sixth. Anybody really uh, think otherwise? Of course, the fact that the charges were brought demonstrates the systemic racism of not just the police, but the whole system. Now, how do I know that? Because Dr. Melina Abdullah, former California State University professor who now serves as the director of BLM Grassroots, writes The Blaze, declared in a statement published on the organization's website that the movement will continue to stand with Smollett regardless of the outcome of the trial since they can never believe police, quote unquote, over someone, quote, 
who's been courageously present, visible, and vocal in the struggle for black freedom. I didn't know that he was. And I don't know what that even means. Um, Abdullah claimed that in an abolitionist society, this trial would not be taking place, and our communities would not have to fight and suffer to prove our worth. Instead, we find ourselves once again being forced to put our lives and our value in the hands of judges and juries operating in a system that is designed, uh, you understand, white privilege. This whole Black Lives Matter movement is a critical race theory movement. And so that's Black Lives Matter. She, uh, she is not just some, uh, you know, homeless Marxist. No, no. She is in charge of their grassroots organizing. A clear-thinking person like Melina Abdullah, former uh, tenure professor, I might add. Uh, she's in charge of BLM grassroots. And the grassroots are never wrong, of course. So there you have it. Smollett is uh, guilty, at least on the first five counts. There's a six count. Really doesn't matter. Uh, he's a liar. He's a fraud. He's a fake and a phony. He's a race baiter. And so may I make a suggestion, America? May I make a suggestion, Mr. Producer? He should be a primetime host on MSNBC. I, while on CNN, uh, there is a Cuomo slot, but... MSNBC, I mean, they do have Sharpton there, and we know what uh, Joy Reid said, and she blamed it on hackers who got into her social sites and put all that homophobic, anti-Semitic, anti-quote-unquote white stuff on there. It wouldn't be her, of course, and we've learned now the way she speaks and acts and talks. There's no way. No way. But while all this is going on, ladies and gentlemen, while this has been the focus of the media for about the last hour, uh, I have some bad news for you. Maybe this will help explain it. Bloomberg. Yeah, he's bad news, but that's not my point. The news service. Biden infuriates Eastern NATO allies with outreach to Russia. And I read this this morning. I said, what the hell is he doing now? The United States offered talks on Russia's security guarantees. That fuels fears in Eastern Europe, Biden to talk to leaders in the region later today. I said, oh, good Lord, what's he doing? Eastern European countries have reacted critically to a U.S. proposal. A handful of NATO allies could meet with Russia to discuss its military buildup along Ukraine's borders. One government in the region is furious and seeking immediate clarification on what exactly Biden is planning, according to a diplomat from the country who declined to be named, speaking on confidential issue another diplomat was more specific the unease among the eastern flank were countries that were once dominated by the soviet union called the uh, captured nations uh, now find themselves on the front lines against an aggressive russia centers on just what kind of concessions the talks might lead in terms of political guarantees and curbs on nato's freedom of movement and its ability to carry out actions russia should under no circumstances be given a say in who may or may not be a member of NATO. Eastern, excuse me, Estonian Prime Minister Kashyakala said at a news conference on Thursday, Moscow's most worrying wish is to divide Europe into spheres of influence. We remember these kinds of moments from our own history, and we're in no way naive on this issue. Now, I want you to think about this. All right, the Smollett thing's over. 
It's over. The media is going to pump this for everything it can. This is why you can't stand them. They got the legal analysts on. They got, they got, who cares? We know what happened. We know what happens. But you get my point here. What's going on? I want you to think about it. For all these years, they talked about Trump weakening NATO. What just happened to NATO now? What just happened to NATO now? For all these years, they said Trump is in Russia's back pocket. Well, who's in Russia's back pocket? Look now. Look now. Look at Mr. I've got 40 years of foreign policy experience. Look how he's destroying one relationship after another. Look how our enemies are poised to move. Look how our enemies are blackmailing us, shaking us down. Joe Biden has taken the NATO alliance, has taken peace in the Middle East, which was left to him, has taken China and Russia, empowered China, empowered Russia, empowered Iran, and has weakened our alliances and weakened the United States. And it didn't even start with Afghanistan, which was bad enough, which was horrible, and still is with American citizens there. And so we're going to focus on Smollett. Let's go to cut one, Mr. Producer. Go. And then on Ukraine, there are some reports that the U.S. is pressuring Ukraine to cede land to Russia as a way to deter them from invading. Is that true? No, that's absolutely false. I don't believe that for one second, that it's absolutely false. I don't believe it in the least. These people lie. They just lie and they lie and lie. I don't believe it for a second. And remember, this is a friendly press to Biden in this administration. It's even a friendly press in many respects to Russia. We see more and more of that. The apologists for Russia. But there's more on this when I return. This is a big deal. What's taking... What's our interest in the Ukraine? What's our interest in Russia? What's our interest here? Are we going to start off a nuclear war? What is this, third grade? Everybody have a low IQ? Should we eliminate NATO? Should we take out our nukes? I'll be right back. Conservative and proud of it. Call the Mark Levin Show at 877-381-3811. So a three-judge panel has bought the argument that a former president who asserts privilege over certain of his documents when he was president can't really do that because, you see, the existing president has refused to assert privilege over those same documents. And so... The court says, you know, that's not really something we're going to do. We're not going to second-guess the sitting president. Of course, the courts are filled with judges who second-guess presidents, Congress, the American people, the states, and on and on and on. So this is not an issue of, the, the, uh, of a political doctrine notion that they should stay out of politics. This is a separation of powers issue at its core. 
and whether or not Congress has this kind of power. See, it's not typical for Congress to start subpoenaing records of a former president for the purpose of investigating a former president who's now a private citizen. We're going into new, very dark, very troubling territory here, which is what the Democrat Party has done, and this is where they've dragged us, where it comes to impeachment, which now is no standard whatsoever. When it comes to launching criminal investigations, which now has no requirement for an honest predicate. When it comes to using campaign dollars to buy a dossier and then to politicize the FBI and the intelligence agencies in the Oval Office, for which the person behind it, Hillary Clinton, is not held to account, let alone investigated and dragged in front of a federal grand jury. Now we have this. Now, I haven't had time, but I looked at the three judges on this panel, Mr. Producer. The two that I looked at are both Obama appointees. We'll see if the third is a Trump appointee, a Reagan appointee. I will look that up. But there's two of them who are Obama appointees. Now, one of the things you're not hearing about, you're not reading much about, is that Biden is packing these courts as fast as he can with these radicals, and they are sort of neutralizing the constitutionalists on these courts that were put there by President Trump. And one of the reasons they're able to do that is because these votes bring them out of committee, the Judiciary Committee, uh, because the ranking or one of the ranking Republicans on the Judiciary Committee is Lindsey Graham, who so far has voted for virtually every judicial nominee bar two or three, because he thinks a president has this right. What he doesn't accept and what most of these people don't accept on the uh, on the McConnell side of Capitol Hill we're in a battle here to save this country, to save our Constitution, to save our way of life. Well, you're playing games. You're holding to some rule that is inapplicable. That is utterly and completely inapplicable. So this is problematic. So, um, now why is this a problem? From time to time, we have Supreme Court justices and or their spouses listening to this program. Why is this a problem? It's the reason I said several weeks ago. You have a Democrat Party that controls all elected branches of government. The Democrat Party is not interested in separation of powers. It's interested in power. It's not interested in these constitutional constructs that keep us free. In fact, it works day and night to reverse course. And so Joe Biden and his staff and his lawyers in the Department of Justice, they didn't really look at the documents that Donald Trump asserted executive privilege over. They're working hand in glove with the Democrats in the House, Nancy Pelosi, Benny Hill, and all the others. Benny Hill being the chairman of the committee. I know his name. It's Benny Hill. That's what we call him. And of course, they love the Never Trumpers who helped bring us to this point of desperation as a country. Self-righteous, narcissistic punks, mostly. And so this really isn't the Biden administration asserting executive privilege on any constitutional basis, or the converse, passing it. They want this Democrat-run committee to get the information that they think they can twist and use against Trump and his uh, former staffers, advisors, friends, whatever. And the court did not address another issue that I raised, which is this. I don't believe Joe Biden will run again, but Joe Biden says he is going to run again. Okay, so it's in Joe Biden's interest in this case to cripple separation of powers, 
to give his own party access to information related to Donald Trump so they can twist into a pretzel that information or use it as they wish, they hope, they hope they find something, something embarrassing that they will claim is embarrassing and spin it to improve their chances in 2024. So there's no getting around this. If you're going to pretend, well, Joe Biden, he's the sitting president, he can make the... No, this is a separation of powers issue. It's a separation of powers issue. The court has it before it, three judges. It's not a question of whether Biden asserts uh, executive privilege or not. Under these circumstances, the court must take into consideration the environment and the facts of what's actually occurring. Forget about these legal analysts on TV. Not a damn one of them is a constitutional expert. Not one of them. One of them can't keep his pants on, for God's sakes. Probably put him on the Supreme Court next. This is a very important issue. This isn't a Trump issue. This is a constitutional issue. And so this matter will be going to the Supreme Court. Let's hope the Supreme Court doesn't keep ducking constitutional issues. There it comes to cases out of Pennsylvania that are crucially, crucially important. The Rehnquist Court didn't duck a case in 2000. It took it right on. Had the guts to make a decision. The Roberts Court is a whole other ball of wax, as they say. But this is important to get this right. And let me also say this to our friend Kevin McCarthy, because Mitch McConnell is hopeless, absolutely useless. These decisions by these courts and these actions by this current speaker must be taken up by a Republican majority in the House of Representatives where Kevin McCarthy becomes the speaker. He must do to the Democrats what they have done to the Republicans or this unbalance where the Democrats can do anything they want and the Republicans play marbles will sink this republic. And I've explained to you a few times, and I want to explain to the Republican leadership in the House. The Republican leadership in the Senate is uh, non-existent. It's oxymoronic to call the Republicans in the Senate leaders. The Republicans in the House, we still want to see. But it's very, very important. The independent counsel statute, which was passed, I believe it was 1978, after Watergate. It's a convoluted statute. It set up a separate court system to go after certain covered individuals. It required a public report. It undermined our understanding of justice. It triggered investigations left and right. It really, in many respects, tore this country apart. You know, everybody says we're torn apart. We've been torn apart a lot by the Democrat Party and the American Marxists. This was the brainchild of a buffoon by the name of Carl Levin, who's been praised, oh, he passed, you know, he was so great when he passed away. We've never seen anything, he's a nasty man. Nasty man. And Barney Frank. And Barney Frank. So this thing is triggered multiple times under Janet Reno against Clinton. Before that, it was triggered multiple times against Reagan. So the Democrats and the Republicans came together on Capitol Hill. And you know what they decided in America? Let's get rid of this law. It's just too... Because the Democrats finally felt the wrath of the 
of the law that they created. Of the Pandora's box that they had opened. And so now that Bill Clinton was subjected to multiple independent counsel investigations, as the Reagan administration had been, they cried uncle, the Democrats. They cried uncle. And they let it lapse. The law had an, immediate, uh, an automatic lapsing provision. And it's never been renewed. That's how you deal with the Democrats. Trump's right. You hit them harder than they hit you. But that's how you deal with it. When it comes to impeachment, when it comes to coup efforts, I, I, I really am loath to believe that the Republicans have the guts to do this sort of thing. Nancy Pelosi's done it with a three-vote majority in the House. In other words, essentially no majority. Now they want to take this congresswoman, I was hoping you'd whisper in my ear, Mr. Producer, Bober, Lauren Bobert, and remove her from committees. One party removing Republicans from committees. One party appointing a special committee to investigate January 6th. One party driving impeachment. One party driving a coup. One party driving our economic system, our governing system. One party demanding to change the, uh, the independence of the judiciary. One party. With no majority, really. That knows its ass is going to kick, get kicked in two years. That's certainly the hope. They don't stop. They keep driving the agenda. Donald Trump, they want his taxes. They accuse him of violating the emoluments clause. They can't even spell it, let alone pronounce it. They've accused him of a thousand things. January 6th committee. It's a farce. Did you know Letitia up there in uh, the Attorney General of New York has decided that she's not going to run for governor in the Democrat primary. Why? Because she get her ass kicked. That's why she said she has too much work to do. She's released all this information on the Cuomos. She's basically taken out the Cuomos as competition to her. I'm not saying it's a bad thing she took them out. I'm saying she took them out as competition to her. Most people would say this is a conflictual situation, but no, 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 no. And she's just announced again there's a civil investigation of the Trump organizations, and she's demanding that Donald Trump testify on January 7th. There's no end to this. Whether it's the D.A. Vance, whose father served in the Carter administration and was a disgraceful disaster. Whether it's Letitia James, who ran on criminally prosecuting Donald Trump. She should have had her license pulled right there. But the whole system is rigged. The tax returns, executive privilege, you name it. The entire constitutional and legal systems, federal and state, are being turned into a mockery. A mockery. Because they want to take out Donald Trump, who's not even in office right now, but they fear him so much. If he is, as the news organizations say, a drag on Republican victories. If he is, as the news organizations, the Never Trumpers, the Republics, and the others say, a problem that needs to get out of the way and let somebody else take over, then why do they keep attacking him? I'll be right back. Mark Lovin.
let me tell you why I wanted to look at the the three judges on this panel that made the decision apparently today in the D.C. Circuit. Under Harry Reid, they added additional seats to the D.C. Circuit. The D.C. Circuit is considered the second most important court because all these big cases first typically go there before they go to the U.S. Supreme Court. Out of the disputes between Congress, the executive, and those sorts of things, the bureaucracy. So it's a very important court. Well, they packed that court when Obama was president of the United States, and Harry Reid worked with them. And they added seats to that court, and it's paid off. So when I read an article by CBS and NBC, and I read both articles just to make sure, and they don't point out who appoints these three judges, I knew there was an issue. All three judges on this panel were appointed by Barack Obama. All three of them. So Trump and the other individuals uh, raising questions here couldn't have pulled a worse panel. Could not have pulled a worse panel. Now, wouldn't that be the headline in every news article if every one of them had been appointed by Trump or even by a Republican? How often do you hear them denounce the Supreme Court when they don't get their way? The six conservatives on the court, the six conservatives on the court. Well, these are three of the radicals on the D.C. Circuit Court, all of whom were appointed by Obama, as best as I can tell. I mean, I've done it under crunch. And if I'm wrong, I'll, I'll correct myself. I'm not afraid to do that. But that's what I looked up. That's what I saw. That's what I saw. Judge Millett, Judge Williams, Judge Bryan, all appointed by Obama. So this matter needs to go to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court needs to take it up. And John Roberts has to decide if he's going to continue along the road where the court's going to pass on major constitutional issues that affect this country. You just can't let this country unravel like this. They have a responsibility. They get involved in things where they have no responsibility. And then when you have black letter law that comes up regarding the text of the Constitution, what this means, and judicial precedent, they say, no, no, we're not getting involved. It's the political doctrine question. No, it's not. It's the separation of powers question. The separation of powers question. Now, I'm not going to be diverted from where I started tonight. I want to get back to it. And that is, of course, the, uh, what's happening with Russia. But before I do, I get it. You're sick and tired of what they're doing to this man. I get it. You're frustrated with a corrupt system. You're frustrated with how these American Marxists have conquered so much of our government, so much of our society and culture. You see that there's two forms of justice here when it comes to what party you belong to or what you actually believe. And you're right. But you have to keep fighting. That's what Trump does. That's what these other folks are doing. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. See that? I stand corrected. Just going into the break, I said, uh, let's make sure I'm 100% right on these three judges. It's two Obama judges and one Biden judge. 
Katanji uh, Jackson is a Biden judge. So those three judges are the judges on the panel for the D.C. Circuit, which is now lopsided toward the Democrats. I'm just pointing it out. And uh, none of the very, very important issues were really raised here. There was just a quick, in my view, embrace of the, uh, of the position uh, of the Department of Justice, really on behalf of a rogue Department of Justice, on behalf of a rogue House committee. And only the Supreme Court can set this straight. If they duck on this, I just think uh, that's the last straw for many, many people. It's the last straw. That, that just tells you they're, uh, they're being intimidated. I don't mean personally. I mean they're intimidated by the, uh, by the environment that we're all facing here. But it's really quite, uh, quite outrageous. And so here we have a situation where uh, Joe Biden is in fact encouraging Ukraine to give up some of its territory to Russia. Now, what do you think China would think of that? I'm, I'm, you know, this stuff is serious. It's very, very serious. And then you look at Iran. There's a piece in the dispatch. From maximum pressure to minimal resistance, the Biden administration has barely responded to Iran's escalation of its nuclear program. I would disagree with that. They've helped subsidize it. And not to get into the whole thing, but they say last week marked the first time the Biden administration partook in indirect negotiations with the Islamic Republic of Iran's new ultra-hardline government. Unsurprisingly, after days of discussion, no deal was clinched to revive the faltering 2015 nuclear accord. Iran made maximalist demands and upended initial agreements reached during the previous rounds of talks. Washington now faces the uphill challenge of containing Tehran's expanding nuclear programs while recalibrating its Iran policy. Now, let me cut to the chase here, ladies and gentlemen. And, those, and you folks who listen to me all over the world, particularly in the Middle East, especially in Israel, you're on your own. You're on your own. Joe Biden has no intention of supporting military action against Iran. Ally or no ally. Look at what he's done to our allies and alliances since he's been in office. All the talk about globalism and so forth. You know, the amazing thing is, in the end, the globalists, they're sellouts, they're appeasers. They use globalism because they don't want to use, in this case, our country, the position of the commander-in-chief to be the commander-in-chief. They need committee decisions. As America goes, in their minds... Or I should say, as France goes, so goes America. As Belgium goes, so goes America. That's not all Trump thinks. That's not all Reagan thought and so forth. So the Biden administration is barely responding to Iran's escalation. Even the United Nations says, hey, they're working on nukes. They've already gotten rid of the most difficult of the sanctions, difficult for the Iranians. Money is pouring into Iran so they can, you know, add that to their resources for their weaponry, their terrorism, and of course their nukes. I mean, where do we get these people from in this administration? It's, it's, it's the opposite of everything that's rational and right. Across the board, domestically, same thing, spending, the border, 
we have a uh, such a severe problem here. This is why I try to tell people the Virginia election was very, very important. That's one battle. We have this clown for three more years, and if it's not him, it's one of them. You can destroy a country that fast. Apparently, you can destroy a country in 10 months if you're really good at it. And to be good at it is to be bad at the office of the presidency. And so, Iran's on the move. And Israel has to make a decision, like I said the other day. It's a very easy decision, even though the consequences are kind of brutal. And that's your survival or your alliance with the Biden administration. Which means more to you? Which means more to you? Weeks after Biden's election, Iran's Guardian Council approved a new parliamentary law mandating a significant escalation of the country's nuclear activities. And what they write in this piece, it's an excellent piece. Benham Ben Talabublu, if I mispronounce it, sorry, and Andrea Sticker, it's a little easier. What they explain is under Trump, the Iranians would not do this sort of thing because they feared him. But under Biden, it's almost as if they're encouraged by the actions of this administration. And so... When Biden got elected, they started to, quote, phase in hundreds of advanced centrifuge machines that can more efficiently produce enriched uranium than older JCPOA-permitted models. So they put in advanced machines, essential for any Iranian attempt to sneak out of its nonproliferation commitments. That is, make a covert dash for a bomb. In August, they reportedly produced 200 grams of uranium metal using 20% enriched uranium. Tehran has no immediate civilian need for the material, which can be used in the core of a nuclear weapon. Iran also stepped up production of advanced centrifuge parts days ahead of the latest nuclear talks. On the third day of negotiations, Iran started enriching uranium at four dough using a cascade of advanced centrifuges known as IR-6, which can enrich uranium at more than five times the speed of Iran's first-generation machines. The totality of these moves have implications for a future nuclear weapons program and offer the Islamic Republic technical and engineering feats that cannot be unlearned regardless of any deal. And what have our media focused on? And who's holding this administration to account? The U.S. response to Iran's advances has been almost non-existent. Along with its European partners, Washington failed to backstop the IAEA. That's the U.N. Even as its director likened Tehran's reduced monitoring as putting the agency in a position of flying in a heavily clouded sky. So here they complain and we in Europe do nothing. At all quarterly IAEA Board of Governors meetings in 2021, the parties failed. That would be us and others to censure Tehran over nonproliferation safeguard violations. In the absence of vigorous U.S. sanctions, enforcement, and additional penalties against illicit Iranian oil exports, Tehran continued selling oil to China, providing the Islamic Republic with greater financial incentive to resist diplomatic entreaties for restraint. Under this administration, in 2021, the Biden administration also resisted taking a hard line against Iran-backed terrorism and other activities. They removed Iran-backed militants in Yemen from the U.S. foreign terrorist organization list, gave only a muted response to the attempted kidnapping of a U.S. citizen 
on American soil and reportedly withdrew missile defenses from, a middle, from the Middle East at a time when Iran's missile capabilities were rapidly evolving. In other words, they're just appeasing left and right. And throughout the Biden administration, continued denigrating the notion of pressure on Iran and showed no real indication of a plan B other than blaming its predecessor. Put another way, the Biden campaign and the latter, the and the later, the administration's own words and deeds cemented an impression for Iran's leaders that America was uncomfortable with escalation and eager for any agreement, even a lesser one, that could be spun as capping Iran's nuclear program. So you're Iran, you're China, you're Russia. You see what we did in Afghanistan. You see what we're doing to the Iranians. And what are you going to do? So when you hear these meatheads say, what does Ukraine mean to us? What does Iran mean to us? What are you talking about? Who's the ultimate target here? Us. This is chess. It's not checkers. This is important. Using our satellites, using allies to assist us. That's why we have allies. To assist us. That's why we have farm bases. That's why we have an air force. That's why we have a navy. That's why we have a marine corps. And on and on and on. What do you think? As they say, to fight in Lawrence, Texas? To stake out and mark our positions in Peoria, Illinois? Have we learned nothing from World War II? Have we learned nothing from 9-11? Every general is not Millie. Every battle is not Afghanistan. We're talking about the big leagues here now. China and Russia. We're talking about the big leagues here now. An Iranian regime that humiliated us for years... And now it's going to get what it's always wanted, nuclear weapons. All right, we're going to change course a little. Adam Carolla is coming on the program. I've never talked to Adam Carolla in my life. But we thought it would be a fun thing to do. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. I've admired Adam Carolla from afar. Um, funny as hell. Uh, and yet can be serious as hell. But he doesn't bow to, uh, to propaganda, to mobs. I guess they call it the cancel culture now, but he didn't bow to it before it was called the cancel culture. I've never talked to him. Adam Carolla, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's a pleasure to uh, meet you. And you're doing a whole new series on uh, the Daily Wire, which really is evidence of this. In other words, it's, uh, uh, it's a comedy series you're doing. You bring on different guests and so forth, obviously. And um, what is it that, uh, that, that motivated you to do this? I mean, in addition to having fun and so forth, is it, is it a message you're trying to send? Well, maybe in a, in a sense it is. I mean, I'm a comedian. I want to do stand-up specials. I live in Hollywood. My opinions don't mesh nicely with the folks that run Netflix or the folks that run HBO, uh, but they do mesh more nicely with the folks at Daily Wire. But it's really, the Daily Wire just doesn't discriminate. They're not snobs and not elitist snobs and they want comedy 
and I'm a comedian who wants to do specials. So you know, we got a peanut butter cup here. I got my mm-hmm. I got my chocolate. I got the peanut butter, <laughs> and let's do it. Hollywood, you know, never stops crying about McCarthyism, but they apply it all day long. You know, here's the thing. Uh, I, th- I think you see this. Uh, others now who maybe were more liberal, Democrat. Uh, and they say, wait a minute, when I, when I debate with conservatives, not all, obviously, but as a general, they want to debate. They want to engage. They want to understand. Uh, and they stand for things that actually uh, I might agree with. I mean, I may not agree with all their positions, but fundamentally, I mean, liberty and competition and s- stuff like that. I, I find that people, if they really engage or something like that, even look at Alan Dershowitz right now they start to see that one side really wants to engage and another side wants to destroy the crap out of you if you don't agree with them. You get that sense? Yeah, and it's also their terms of engagement are very twisted. It's like you can agree with them on eight out of ten things, but if you disagree with them on one and a half things, then they don't want to engage and you're by the way what they what they do is they basically just go it's not that we disagree it's that you're evil and you don't engage with evil people why would you now it's convenient because they don't want to engage and they're missing most of the facts but they do this thing where they do ad hominem and then you're evil. Why? Why bother sitting down and having a, a conversation? By the way, if people want to uh, watch your program, uh, how often is it on? I mean, I know the answer, but I, you can tell us when is it on and where can they find it. Well, we're doing six specials. We've shot two, one with a Rob Riggle, comedian, and a Jay Leno as well, and they're up at uh, the Daily Wire. If they want to listen to my podcast, they can go to adamcarolla.com. And you do that how often, your podcast? Yeah, Every Adam, you have day. to understand, I live, I live in my basement. I am really surrounded by bubble wrap. I really am. I, I withdrew from this culture a long time ago. People go about Twitter, Facebook. I say, what's that? You know, because I resigned from them a long time ago. Uh, so I, I, I don't participate that much. And it drives my wife nuts. Like, why haven't you watched this movie? Because I don't want to. Uh, so I'm not exactly the most well-rounded uh, person when it comes to the culture. So your podcast is when again? Daily at adamcorolla.com. You can find it on uh, iTunes as well. What do you make of the, uh, the direction of this country? Obviously, you're concerned, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're concerned about it. What do you think the biggest problems are with the direction of this country? I think the biggest problem is a very small but very vocal group of, you know, newspaper owners and network owners and celebrities are very against anything that happened before they were born. It's essentially, let's tear everything down that existed. Let's pull down every statue. Let's move a boulder because somebody wrote an article in a newspaper a hundred years ago that called it racist. 
And then there's the silent majority of people who just sit back quietly watching them do what they do because they're scared of being called a racist or homophobic or xenophobic or being ostracized or removed from their job. So this very small minority of people that are essentially pulling the strings for society, and most of the people in that society don't don't agree with what they're doing, but they're too scared to speak up. And and speaking to that, I know a few people in Hollywood, you know, who have spoken out. I mean, big time actors and others uh, who uh, who make their views known. I mean, they don't poke people in the eye; they're just patriotic. And they say things that most Americans used to agree with. I guess that's conservatism today. How are you treated? I guess it depends on where you go and what you do. But how are you treated out there? Well, I'm personally, I'm treated fine. I, I have friends. I have comedians and actors and people I know in Hollywood, by and large, on a personal level, treated fine. But professionally, uh, the phone doesn't ring. I mean, I create my own podcasts. I create my own documentaries. I write my own books. Uh, I now make my own stand-up specials with the Daily Wire. So I, I kind of realized a long time ago that it's sort of a popularity contest out here, and I'm not that popular. So work is going to be difficult within the system, but if I go outside of the system and create my own work, then I'll always be employed. You actually have to go out there, create your own platforms. Dave Rubin has talked about this. Others have talked about this. If you want to be heard, if you can, if you want to do what it is that you feel you were born to do, it's really, I, I, I mean, I, I want to applaud you, but it's really too bad. I've done some of that myself here. Listen, if it doesn't completely destroy you, I'd like to have you back and maybe on TV at some point. What do you think? I'm all for it, Mark. And remember, I did talk to you once many years ago because you love the show Crank Anchors that I oh. produced. <laughs> That's right. Thank you. We'll be right back. This is the nation's town hall meeting, and you can join in at 877-381-3811. Now I embarrass myself, which, no, I don't do often. Adam Carolla's right. We did talk. And that show, Crank Yankers, was hilarious. Do you remember that show? Or are you too young, Rich? Was it not hilarious? Yankerville? It was Yankerville. <laughs> it was hilarious. The phony phone calls and everything. Oh, my God. I wish they'd bring it back. But they won't. Maybe he can do that for the blaze. Just saying. Just saying. We're going to have him back. I like him a lot. Adam Carolla. I mean, he's sharp and he's funny. That's hard to be. There's only a few of us who can do that. Just kidding. But um, definitely we will. Now, we have talked about Russia. But there's an axis of evil out there, as they used to call the old axis of evil, of course. But it's more than an axis. But nonetheless, more than three countries. But right now, I'll just stress Russia, China, and Iran. And over at Breitbart, here's a report. China military spending surge now 50% larger than India, Japan, Taiwan, Southeast Asia combined. Now, that's frightening. Because China has all of them 
in its target, in its hair. China is determined to match its aggressive military talk in Southeast Asia with spending. Report by the Lowy Institute in Australia. Uh, of course, we're not going to get it for the Center for American Progress, for most of the American media. Shows in 2021, it achieved just that, as other reports indicate Beijing is looking to establish its first permanent military presence on the Atlantic Ocean of a tiny Central African country of Equatorial Guiana. According to the latest Asia Power Index, China's military financial outlay is more than 50% bigger than the countries I've already mentioned to you. In its annual report, the U.S. remained the most powerful country in the Asia-Pacific region, with China coming in second place after steadily growing influence on the index in recent years. But we have a big problem here. China's navy is larger than ours. Ours is getting old. China has four to five times as many men and women um, in its regular army. It's regular military, I should say. Active duty. But we're really in a big problem here. Big problem here. The, uh, the details on China's boosted defense spending come as classified American intelligence reports suggest China intends to establish its first permanent military presence on the Atlantic Ocean in the tiny Central African country. The Wall Street Journal reports this would enable China's warships to rearm and refit opposite the U.S. East Coast and its busy shipping lanes. Chinese military spending elsewhere is now far ahead of regional rivals and all 10 members of ASEAN and still growing, leaping as recently as 2020. The same time Indonesia edged in the index top 10. Japan is a so-called smart power, which wields significant diplomatic, economic, and cultural influence. Uh, that's not going to cut it this time. That's not going to cut it this time. Before I take the break here, there's really no good time to say this. Biden is sinking even further. During the tribute to President Dole, did you hear this, Mr. Producer? He's not just reading his speech. He's reading the instructions that were given to him in the speech. All these important quote-unquote, powerful people sitting there in the rotunda know that Joe Biden is a certifiable idiot. We, the people, know that Joe Biden is a certifiable idiot. Of course, the fanatics in the Democrat Party, the media, and all the rest, they don't care. They'll take a certifiable idiot any day of the week, and they got one. But Xi looks at this guy. Putin looks at this guy. The Islamo-Nazi regime in Iran look at this guy, and I'm telling you, they laugh. They can't believe how good they have it. They laugh. Now, the Democrat Party has done enormous damage to this country, including this guy. But Jen Psaki is a disaster, too. She's not just the mouthpiece for the idiot. She's an idiot in and of herself. And I'm going to play this, and I'm sure you'll find out why, but if not, I will point out why. Cut to go. Staying on Ukraine, Russian troops are still amassed along the border. 
do you have any indication at this point that the president's strategy is working? Well, Kristen, I think it's going to be up to President Putin to make a decision about uh, whether he is going to invade Ukraine uh, uh, and, 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 and send a message to the global community that he does right, not... stop res- there. Do any of you think any press secretary under Ronald Reagan or Donald Trump would say that? That it's up to Putin? Doesn't that green light Putin? It's up to Putin whether he invades Ukraine. It's almost matter of fact. You know, like over a piece of pound cake and coffee. Well, it's up to Putin if he invades. He'll have to deal with the global response, you know, the economic dislocation. Putin doesn't care about his people. He pours all this money into his military. He's a multi-billionaire. He's stolen from his people. He's a dictator. International, uh, international view. Anybody know any Marxist or fascist dictator to give the damn about what the international community? You know, the international community. And here's the sad part. Two-thirds of the international community is with him. Because there are a lot of Cretans out there. Probably outnumber the democracies. But all that said, what do you say? I think it's going to be up to President Putin to make a decision about whether he's going to invade Ukraine. Invade Ukraine? Really? She needs a TV slot. Like so many of the Nimrods on... Well, you get my point. That, to me, is a provocative statement. Now, that's what she says about Russia. And you can tell she's a little unsure of herself. She's not very passionate about... Now, if you bring up a Republican or Trump, then you see the, uh, the eyes getting angry, the sharpening of the teeth, uh, the, 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 the blood rushing to her, her forehead. You, you're a Republican. Trump. Insurrection. Russia. Well, it's up to Putin. China. Well, what can we do? Iran. Well, we're just nice to them. Give them some money. Maybe we can persuade them to come to our side and so forth and so on. You know, before this program, I was thinking to myself, how can I, how can I communicate the seriousness of this, of what's going on in the world today? Because people don't want to believe. I'm not talking about you. People don't want to believe. And of course, the focus of the media, the focus of Congress isn't on this stuff. We're being distracted by a Democrat party that is fundamentally transforming this country culturally and the society and, and all aspects of it, our schooling and so forth. We've got that going on in one lane. And then, of course, our enemies. They're building up their militaries to take us on. It's not about Ukraine. It's not about Taiwan. It's about us. It's about us. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Alexandria Casagota. Uh, was at a press conference yesterday. What else is it? What is this? Uh, what does this kid do? Did I call her a kid? I think I did. What does this kid do? What does she do for a living? Really? Is she a legislator? 
What does she legislate? He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Well, we've had a lot to cover today, ladies and gentlemen, and this is one I'm not going to let the day pass without getting into. It's the new United States Attorney from Massachusetts, newly confirmed. She was a district attorney before that, you know. And uh, I'll just cut to the chase. There was, wasn't that long ago, she had cop lights on her vehicle and uh, pulled up against a woman, yelled at the woman like an unhinged nut job, turned on her siren and her lights. Apparently threatened to arrest her. The woman was shaken. She doesn't know why. Rachel Rollins is black. The woman is white. The white woman, it turns out, is also a Democrat. She's a former Soros-backed, is Rachel Rollins, Suffolk County District Attorney. She's now the United States Attorney for Massachusetts. Nominated by Joe Biden and confirmed by the Senate. After this car incident, there was a reporter for a local station, Boston 25 News reporter, in January of this year. Didn't confront her. Very polite, very gentle speaking, actually, gentle behaving. To ask her about what took place. Because the woman who was absolutely shocked and shaken by what just took place had called the local police department to report what her officer, their officer had done and gave them the tag number. And they said, that's not one of our officers. And so, um, as I say, this local female reporter from Boston 25 happens to be white. When she parked her car, her vehicle, where there were a number of vehicles parked, and keep in mind, she didn't show the front of this Rachel Rollins house, any family members, nothing of the sort, was there to ask her about what took place. I want you to hear what the new U.S. attorney from Massachusetts said before she was the U.S. attorney. And I want to remind you of one other thing. The Federal Bureau of Investigation does background checks. It does background checks. And so this would have come up, that she's unstable. All right, January of this year, go. Can we speak to you for one second, Ms. Rollins? You're in front of my house we, my we, children? We literally just pulled up here. Yeah, but how do you know where I live? Oh, it's public record, ma'am. Right, okay. That's unbelievable. We're not stalking you at all. We're yeah, not. but my kids are inside. Oh, we never even knocked the door. We were just parking here trying to figure out where we were going, and someone said we saw you here. So. Yeah, okay. Thanks. We just happened to see you. Yeah. We did. No, we did. I, I'm going to please make sure that you're in front of my house with my children inside. And you're going to put this on oh, here. This is your house. Yeah, sorry. so as a black woman, in this moment, in this country, you're going to put my 
house on the screen? No, 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 ma'am. We're just here approaching you to ask you a question. Get away from my family. Speak to me at my job. If I get hurt or harmed because of this, you are on the record for that. Or my kids are, are killed. Listen. Who do you think you are? Get this is private property. Okay, get out of here. Get out and of you here. know what I'll do? I'll call the police on you and make an allegation okay. and we'll see how that works okay. with you. Absolutely. So the rantings of a white woman get you here and scare my children. No, 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 get no. off of our private property. Here and I swear to God, I'm dead serious. You're I will find your name. You. you can ask me somewhere else. Can give do you not have a camera in front of my I house. Can give you my name. Get her. I'm get them out of here. This is the Boston police. I will have you arrested. I swear to God. My children are going to be hurt. We're just here to ask a question. You didn't even know where you live. Get you away from my house. I'm serious. Please. Now, a couple of things here. The rantings of a white woman. She's a racist. Marxist. She's a Soros bot. One of many. She's now a United States attorney promoted by Biden. Who apparently is impressed with her background and behavior. Crime has soared under her because like all the other Soros fanatics, they don't believe in prosecuting crimes for the most part. They have a right to know why this administration keeps nominating people like this. They nominated a Marxist to be control of the currency. They nominated a racist to be the assistant attorney general for civil rights and another one to be the associate attorney general in my view. You can go right up and down the ladder here. They get to choose 93 United States attorneys. Uh, you can only imagine what the others are like. And there's no accountability with this president, this administration. There's no serious press coverage of any of this. Almost none. And um, what these prosecutors are doing is what so many of these cities have done. Nullification. They nullify our immigration laws. Now they're nullifying the criminal codes of their various jurisdictions on their own. On their own. And they're using racism. Of course, they, they don't mind if the system implodes. That's the point. Soros wants the system to implode. He's got a number of reasons for it, but none of them matter. Fact is, that's where they are. And it is shocking. To better understand this mentality, again, I'm going to push this because I don't know how else to push back on the radio show, on Levin TV, on my Fox show. But the most comprehensive way to push back is to understand what we're dealing with. Then the answer to why will come to you. But we must educate ourselves and inform ourselves in order to be prepared to engage. That's what American Marxism is all about. And I personally want to thank Amazon for subsidizing the price of this book. Because it's now $14, 50% off on a hardcover copy. And you'll get it within a day, two or three. And it's the perfect time to do it. The stars are aligned. It's Christmas time. So you and others are looking for gifts. In some cases, it's very hard to choose a gift for a person. It's not hard to give them a $14 book and tell them, please read this. And if you agree with it, spread the word. And if you don't agree with it, let's have a conversation. 
the more people who are educated, and by, by that I don't mean indoctrinated by this left-wing agenda, educated about what's happening to their country, the more we will be able to push back, whether it's an election, whatever level of government, whether it's our economic system, whether it is in a debate with a neighbor, these things matter. Now, even though we've sold almost 1.2 million copies in all forms, that's you who've done this. You're patriots. There's 330 million people in this country, well over 100 who are adults, well over 100 million. And most of them are literate enough and read or speak English. And we got to do more than just satisfy ourselves, as important as that is. We need to do more. And in addition to that, this is a movement that's been formed under the radar. People are calling it different things or they're not even recognizing it. We don't care. We need to keep at this. This can't be a temporary fad or whatever. We need to keep at this because this is a, an eternal battle. It really is between liberty and tyranny. There's no question about it. And you can see Joe Biden at every step of the way, whether it's him or somebody else is of no consequence, whomever, whatever it is. They are inserting people into the body politic whose ideology has resulted in the destruction of basic principles like law and order. Like treating people with respect rather than being a bigot about their race. Very, very important. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Welcome back, folks. You know, I thought now would be a perfect time to bring back one of the great American patriots on this program. One of the people who each and every day mostly behind the scenes, but publicly when he's called upon, is fighting for your liberty. And in doing so, he is taking on the American media because he knows that they've turned into a propaganda and tyrannical organization pushing an agenda and an ideology, but he knew it before most of us. And we're talking, of course, I am, about Brent Bozell, a dear, dear friend of mine, and truly one of the few people I really look up to the Media Research Center, Newsbusters, and that's just the beginning. As he pushes hard for liberty and free speech and all these things. And here it is Christmas time. I thought it's the perfect time to bring him on and to talk about what he does, talk about what he thinks, talk about things that might inspire many of you. And he's got a fantastic new book out called Stops Along the Way, A Catholic Soul, A Conservative Heart, An Irish Temper, and A Love of Life. But at least he doesn't have the Jewish guilt. That, that'll really get to him. <laughs> <laughs> My brother, Brent Bozell, how, how are you? I know well. How are you? Thank I'm you for good. those words. Well, it's true. And this book is fantastic. And I think... You know, people always say we need, to, we need people who will give uh, younger people an example and some people who are lost and upset and frustrated with what's going on. Tell us why you wrote this book. 
Well, it, it, it's it's a it's a book about stories that I hope will tell a much larger story. Um, some people have referred to it as an autobiography. It is not. Uh, autobiographies, I think, are mostly very stuffy. Um, and, you know, Barack Obama wrote two by the age of 50. Um, this is not a book that, that I want to be known as a biography. Some people call it a memoir. I don't like that term either because that, too, is stuffy. No, this is a book you know, it, that's designed to defeat the cliche that is, if it sounds too good to be true, it is too good to be true. In fact, uh, every single story in here is true. It's going to take you to a world you never knew existed. But there's the point. It's an, I, I, I hope the reader will see it as aspirational because it's a world that could be again. You know, there's an organization out there with a lovely title called Tor Tradition. And that, if I were writing a book with their title, could, could carry that title. Um, it, it is aspirational toward a world where all the goals of, of, of ours can be, could be lived. A world of true freedom. A world, in my case, living the Catholic faith. A world living the Judeo-Christian culture. A world that, where, where there, there can be true happiness. Um, a world where uh, you, you transcend politics. Um, uh, uh, this is the perfect time, I think, for, although I've been writing this book for years, this is a perfect time to release it, because I think especially at this Christmas season, we can all take a little break and read something that I, I believe the reader will find, uh, find to be truly enjoyable. You know, just listening to you broadly describe it, takes me to a better place. You know, people, oh, the 50s, oh, you know, the 40s. Really? I mean, you didn't have abortion like you have. You didn't have murder like you have. I understand there was discrimination and other things. No country's perfect. This country's not perfect. But it is the most perfect among countries. And you think about the opportunities and so forth. You do think about these positive things. A little bit of Norman Rockwell, which, of course, you're not allowed to think about anymore. That is where your book took me. Is that where you intend to take us? Yeah, yeah, and 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 my course was was in a in a a, a different way of arriving at that goal. Uh, I was raised one of ten children in a very strong Catholic family. In 1961, my father took then eight of us to Spain. Uh, I was there as toddler. Just imagine living in a world where you don't have supermarkets, where you don't have homogenized milk, where you didn't have telephones. You, you think, well, that's just a terrible place to live in. It was a very different world, a different place, much in a in a real way, a much saner world than we have today. When I was a freshman in high school, my father challenged my older brother and me, who he was always challenging us, to do things in a stronger, more challenging way. He called us and he challenged us that if we wanted to, we could return to Spain, the two of us, for to finish our high school. But here was the condition. And just think about in this world today if, if this could be possible. The two of us would be sent to another country in another continent to go to school in a different language, to be given $160 a month for the two of us to pay for an apartment, to pay for 
everything, and I mean everything in our lives, and take full responsibility for our lives. I-14, he 16, and we did it. There was no fallback position. We had to sink or swim, and we learned how to swim doing that. And here my parents are on the other side of the ocean, fully confident that we will be taken care of because we're living in a culture where your fellow man took care of you. So if anything befell us, the world would take care of us. Think about this, Mark. Just envision. It, it, it is insanity today to conceive of this. But at age 16, deciding that you are going to hitchhike from Madrid to Rome with $5 in your pockets, you haven't told anybody except for a brother who's in Madrid and some people you're going to meet in Rome. You have no communications. There are no phones, no Internet, no smartphones. You, you, all you can do is write a typewritten letter in exchange once a month. Don't even tell your parents. You make that trip. You return. And now here's the fun part. Imagine sitting down to a typewriter and writing your parents a letter and then receiving several weeks later the issue of National Review that Bill Buckley would send us religiously whenever it came out, and we would devour it uh, cover to cover. Imagine receiving it and seeing on the cover a 16-year-old's European vacation, and it's your letter on the cover of National Review. Boy. That happened. Remind people, particularly young people listening, who Bill Buckley was to you and who your father was very important man. Uh, Bill Buckley was my uncle. Um, my father, same name as I, and he were college roommates at Yale and best friends. Um, to brag on my father, which I do uh, self selflessly um, and or selfishly. Uh, my father won uh, a national oratory contest, 16,000 contestants, uh, which got him a, wow. a uh, scholarship to Yale, yeah. Um, and uh, he was a master orator, master intellect. Uh, he wrote, ghost wrote McCarthy and his enemies, um, started a Catholic magazine, uh, and died, I believe, a saint. Uh, a truly holy man, and those who know him know, mm -hmm. believe that. Uh, I grew up under him, and stop I grew right, up stop right there. Stop right there. The music. I want to pick up where we've left off here because I tell you, people want to know this. The book. It's a fantastic book. I'm telling you, it's going to take you to wonderful places. Stops along the way. A Catholic soul, a conservative heart, an Irish temper, and a love of life. Stops along the way by Brent Bozell. Go to Amazon.com. I'll be right back. Liberty's Voice, Mark Levin. Talk with that voice now, 877-381-3811. Brent Bozell, a long time, decades, good friend, one of the great leaders of uh, liberty in this country. In front of the scenes and behind the scenes, a big supporter of this program over the years as well. Brent Bozell, I had to interrupt you. We had a heartbreak. Go ahead and continue yeah. with your family. Well, so we live that world. My father wanted us to to understand what it was to live in a Catholic culture, in a Judeo culture. But in so doing, Mark, the paradox, we, we learn freedom. We learn what it was to live in a society where 
it is it is paradoxical because we would never wish a society on America that wasn't based on the Constitution and our founders. Um, I lived in Spain under a dictator by the name of Franco, and there was no habeas corpus. And if you did something against the government, very bad things might happen to you. On the other hand, imagine, Mark, living in a society where you didn't lock your doors, living in a society where you could be a, a, an 18-year-old damsel and you could walk the streets of any town, any city in Spain at any time of night by yourself. Imagine being a six-year-old child, an eight-year-old child, and be given a ball and told to go play kickball in town while your parents had a cafe, had a coffee at a cafe, and they watched you leave and go by yourself at six or eight years old into a town to play kickball and have not a worry in the world. Just suppose that's today's world. What this book is intended to do is not take you to the good old days. Not, that's not the point. The point is that there's nothing, absolutely nothing, that stops us should we want that world again. But I think as, as conservatives, Mark, we, it's very hard to wonder what I want to conserve these days. I think you have to fight for a future. I think you have to fight not to defend the past, but to aspire for something new and something wonderful. That's, you know, the left has been doing that. The right needs to do that. We need to rethink our principles. We need to rethink our goals. This book is designed to take there. It's also designed to tell other stories for, for conservatives. For example, Mark, uh, this tells a story of cutting my teeth, working for the most powerful conservative organization in America under the most powerful leader of the conservative movement in America. And Mark, here's the irony. 99% of conservatives have never heard of this organization, nor have ever heard of him. You're in the 1% because you knew him and were a friend of his. I'm people. guessing. Who How would you many say? people out there? How many people out Stan? in the audience have ever heard? No, the National Conservative Political Action oh, Committee, yes. Yes. John T. Kerry Dolan, yep. who started that organization when he was 27 in 1977, died tragically in 1986 when he was 36. This is the man who revolutionized politics who started with no money in the bank, started a, uh, an operation called Target 80, which was to design, to de design to defeat the most powerful liberal Democratic senators in America. He targeted five of them, Alan Cranston of California, Birch Bayh of Indiana, John Culver of Iowa, Frank Church of Idaho, and George McGovern of South Dakota. No money. They were the most powerful. He went after them. He employed two tactics, two strategies. One was culture. He used culture, not politics. The second one, he used humor, not stridency. And in that, when the dust settled in 1980, he defeated four out of the five of them. Now, why is that important? Because had he not defeated them, had they remained in power in 1981, Ronald Reagan's, uh, the economic recovery program 
of Ronald Reagan would never have passed, and therefore there would never have been a Reagan revolution. And yet he's unknown. It is shocking. It is shocking because during his life he was a uh, powerhouse and a very nice guy, by the way, I thought. Very nice guy. He he was considered the media to them. He, by the way, it was his brainchild to have the Media Research Center. Uh, we, we gave birth to it in a parking lot at, at the Avis parking lot in the FW airport. Uh, he, 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 did the, he did the fun. I've got to tell you, he did the funniest things. He knew how to go to people. He, there, was, there was somebody he wanted to get at a, in a labor union. So to get attention for what he wanted to do, he wrote up the plan for Target 80. It was a very sophisticated plan. He wrote the whole thing out, made nothing up, and then put in a big red magic marker across the top of it, you have to stop these people. And he sent it anonymously. I think it was to the head of AFL-CIO. I don't know what it was. Within a week, the AFL-CIO announced a million-dollar campaign against us. And boom, he had made national news, and conservative <laughs> money poured in to help him. And off to the races, he went. He mm-hmm. did that sort of thing. He did a commercial with George May. It was so much fun working for this man. He did a commercial with George McCov- about George McCovern. He showed a picture of George McGovern's apartment in Washington, and then pointed out George McGovern owned no property in South Dakota. And the tagline was, George McGovern out of touch with South Dakota. George McGovern went ballistic and bit. He did a national press conference, and he announced that he just didn't have the money for two homes because of working for the American people. And while he wanted to live in South Dakota, he had to live in Washington, D.C., <laughs> Terry Dolan was ready for commercial number two, which he then aired, which was a picture of Jordan McGovern's farm in Nova Scotia. It oh, was wow. that sort of stuff that he did. Oh, it was, it, was, uh, it was the stuff of mythology. He was so funny. He was so good. He had so many liberals so furious at him. I mean, they thought he had horns. And in fact, he had a Cheshire cat grin on his face at all times. Loved life. And he it, died very young. It, he died very young, very tragically. Uh, I can say because it's, it's a matter. It's all right. You know, it's people known. Who, yeah, pe- pe- people know. He died of AIDS, um, and and uh, he he he, uh, he was a he, you know it's one of those things in life. He was a practicing Catholic uh, mm-hmm. and an active homosexual. Um, uh, I, I was very, very close to the man. Uh, I was with him to his dying day. Uh, I saw a, 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 a religious transformation. As I've told people, if I have the grace that he had on his pinky when he passed, I'll die happy. Um, he died a, you know, an extremely spiritual man. Um, but, you know, he died with a sense of humor. Um, he, he died, he said he wanted his final wish to be buried in the mall with his hands sticking out of the ground, giving the finger to the National Congress, um, oh, Capitol Hill. Uh, that was his dying wish. Uh, and he, he, he wanted a, a direct mail letter uh, to raise money for Nick Back uh, to say that he was dying. And he wanted to commission someone to write a letter. And I said, Terry, I can't have someone write a letter about that. And he said, why? I'm dying and we need money. And he laughed. Um, 
he, 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 he it, it was unlike any man I've ever known to work for John T. Terry Dolan. I tell his story, and that's just that's just to put the iceberg. There, there, there is a story of of being expelled from Nicaragua and being accused of trying to start a stop. Civil one, war. Stop one second. I want to remind people. This book, you hear Brent Bozell, you hear how compelling this is, how intriguing this is. And Brent's been through, you know, his life. He's, he's come across an enormous number of people that you are familiar with and you aren't familiar with. Just, the book is called Stops Along the Way. You can get it at Amazon.com right now. Stops Along the Way if you're doing any shopping during the next day over the weekend for Christmas. This is just one of those, those really compelling books uh, it won't get the attention it deserves. None of them do. But this is this is really one I think you're going to enjoy. Stops along the way, a Catholic soul, a conservative heart, an Irish temper, and a love of life. And you don't have to be Catholic. You don't have to be Irish, although many of you wish you were. You don't have to be uh, to really to really enjoy and learn from this book. Go ahead. Didn't mean to interrupt you. Well, uh, uh, it, it's just, I tell the story about about why I was uh, expelled and banned from Nicaragua by the Sandinista government, uh, formally accused, publicly accused, of trying to start the war, restart the war, which is rather ironic because my grandfather was expelled from Mexico um, and accused of trying to start a war there. Mm. Um, the only difference being that was that he really was trying to start a war. <laughs> 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 but but we, we do tell a story about being a witness to to an attempted assassination uh, of uh, the the opposition leader Violeta Chamorro to the Sandinista government and how because we had videotape we were able to show the world the videotape of the attempt um, and got uh, army protection for her uh, before she could be killed and. Uh, that's what got me. Uh, the, you know, in return, they threw me out of the country and they accused me of trying to start the war. We tell that story. Tell the story about going to Nicaragua to shoot commercials um, for Ronald Reagan uh, attempting to destabilize the government. And we went there, my crew and I went there disguised as uh, reporters for a group called News Watch, of course, with fake uh, identities and whatnot. And when the soldiers stopped us at gunpoint, uh, we explained to them that we worked for El Senor Tom Bruca of NBC News, <laughs> and we were on our way to do, <laughs> we were doing advance work in preparation for his, um, his interview with El Presidente Ortega, and they did. And it made me understand, you know, the, the bias, the understanding of bias apparently extended to the military in Nicaragua um, because they thought it was a great idea that Tom Brokaw was coming to interview to, uh, uh, Ortega. So we just told lots and lots of stories interviewing a 14-year-old boy who had been captured by the Sandinistas when he was eight years old because he was helping send messages to his uncle uh, in the jungle and made to, to fight for the Sandinistas and had been a killer uh, since eight, eight, age eight, telling that story. Telling the story... Oh, hold on now. I don't want you to give the whole book away. No, I'm not going to give it away, but hold, hold, I, hold I will on. tell you there are yeah. countless stories. And they are fantastic, and they all have a lesson. And again, they take you to another place when you're sitting down in your chair and reading these, this book. It's really a fascinating book. Folks, we could go on and on. Maybe we will one day. But for now, I want you to go to Amazon.com, Stops Along the Way, Brent Bozell, He's a fantastic patriot, a fantastic human being, wonderful friend. 
Media Research Center, Sensor Track, all the things they're doing, Newsbusters and so forth. This is the man that runs that entire organization. I don't know what we do without him. Brent, I really want to thank you, man. This is a fantastic book. Thank you, my friend. I couldn't ask for more. Well, God bless you. You take care of yourself. Let's post this book. I'm serious. Stops along the way. It's just fantastic. You hear the stories, and you're going to learn all about the history of the movement and and uh, this this wonderful gentleman. Real class act. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. I see, I'm um, told, other people are joining the Mitch McConnell needs to go bandwagon. That's important. I don't know where they've been, but that's good. Very good. Mitch McConnell has, in fact, uh, created the scenario that I've told you about now, I think, two or three times. That he basically temporarily suspended the filibuster rule to help the Democrats get their vote to raise the debt ceiling. He thinks this is a great political ploy, he says. Because not a single Republican will vote for it. 50 Democrats will vote for it, plus Kamala Harris. The Republicans can tell you back home that they voted against lifting the debt ceiling. They voted against building back big, back, better, bastard, whatever that all that crap means, that, that bill. And, uh, and then pin it on the Democrats. McConnell is uh, very sleazy in this regard, in many regards, as a matter of fact. He should be called out by National Review. He should be called out by the Wall Street Journal. He should be called out by everybody. And uh, he's got 14 Republics who are going to go with him and support this. 14 of them. That means he has 36 Republicans who oppose his view. What kind of leader is this? 19 of them vote for the first phony infrastructure package. He's one of the 19. Mitch McConnell has been... Clearing the path for the agenda that you're seeing while pretending he's opposed to it. You have to be a sucker to believe that. Absolute sucker. And he's lied to us and the American people over and over about blocking what they're doing with respect to spending. Republicans shouldn't be pleased that they're not voting for something that Mitch McConnell created so they can go home and lie to you while the Democrats are getting what they want. He's gotten old, in my view. He's somewhat feeble, and it's time to move on. It's time to move on. Period. Uh, just to remind you, um, Brent Bozell's book is absolutely fantastic. You hear the stories he tells, well, you ought to read about them. And there are myriad stories in there. It's just a fantastic book. Stops along the way a Catholic soul and a conservative heart, an Irish temper, and a love of life. But just remember these words. Stops Along the Way by Brent Bozell. It's on Amazon.com right now. I see, I see the 1619 Project is near the top. I mean, this is amazing to me. And while you're there, don't forget American Marxism. It's 50% off. You can package the two. Have them in your house tomorrow or the next day. These are wonderful, wonderful Christmas gifts. And I'm bringing you the best authors I know. But tonight is Brent Bozell's night. Don't forget his book. God bless each and every one of you. And I'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.